Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. I am Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million are dealing with this right now in the United States. Are you one of them? If so, you're in the right place. We're glad that you are here. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And also, while I'm at it, I'm going to be doing some more things with our podcast, some group interviews through uh, Zoom and some other things I'm going to have, and I'm going to put them out on our podcast. I'm going to put it out on our Facebook page, our Facebook group page, and feel free to take a moment to go out and join that Facebook group page. It's uh, it's a wonderful page. We have people just joining every day that are wanting to just connect with the community. It's a private group. I administer it. The group is called Hope for the Caregiver. The Facebook page is called Hope for the Caregiver. I have both, and one you can just follow along. It's more of a public page. The other is a group that you could join and just share what's on your heart or learn from other people sharing what's on their heart. That's Hope for the Caregiver on Facebook, the page or the group or both. I plan on doing some Facebook live events there as well and trying to do all kinds of things to push back against the isolation that we as caregivers struggle with on a daily basis. That is one of the most crippling things we have to deal with as caregivers is isolation. We can't fix that problem necessarily just due to logistics, but we can be creative. And that's what we're trying to do with all of our social media platforms and everything that I do with this program, with the podcast and so forth. All right. In hopes that you are not weary of this particular issue that I'm getting ready to address. I've talked about it before, but I, I just keep having these teachable moments with it. And I thought, well, okay, I'll share it. And if you guys, you know, roll your eyes, so be it. But it, this is where I live. I have a foot problem, and I can't seem to, you know, get on top of this thing, so to speak. And I went to the doctor, and he told me to get these special inserts. I did, and they're helping somewhat. But I also realized that I needed to go one more step. And evidently, as you get older, your feet, you know, kind of sink. Your arches go away a little bit. You lose that that strength in your arch and your foot and it causes all kinds of problems. And the left part of my, my left foot is my left foot and the left part of my left foot is really hurting. And it's hard to do all the things that I do. I don't have a sitting desk, by the way, I, I, I stand for everything. Uh, my desk rises up and I, I don't even have a chair in my office. So I'm always on my feet and at a moment's notice, going to take care of Gracie and doing all the things that I do. But my foot is hurting, and I'm trying to think, well, what is going on with this? I've, I've tried you know, these inserts, and they are helping. But I also ordered a pair of flip-flops with a great arch support in them, and it's giving a lot of space to my foot just to kind of breathe for a little bit. I, out in Montana, flip-flops can be a little bit chilly, particularly in the morning, but I'm going with it. And, and then I've ordered a, another pair of sneakers that I'm going to use that have a wider foot. And hopefully this is going to help, you know, correct this issue because it's, it's really starting to become uncomfortable. All right. So what does that have to do with anything? And I was thinking about this. We have a caregiver support group out here that I launched and we've got a great group that comes every week and, um, and we were talking about this yesterday, and I, I couldn't help but think about what I'm dealing with, the principle I'm dealing with with my foot. What did my foot need? Well, it needed more support 
and a little bit more space. More support and a little bit more space. Now I ask you, as a caregiver, could you use some more support and a little bit more space? And if so, what does that look like? What does that look like today for you? What does more support look like for you? I have people that write me and tell me that they get up you know, every Saturday morning and they listen to this program. And it's kind of a anchor for them to be connected outside of their own isolation. So maybe this support does that for you. If so, I am very grateful. That is mission accomplished for me because that's why I do the program. What about space? Do you give yourself enough space? Are there toxic people in your life that call you and when you answer the phone, you get in these conversations with them and you feel worse after talking with them than you did before they called? You know, think about the old days when we didn't have caller ID, cell phones, and all this stuff. We would just answer the phone every time it rang. I mean, that was pretty brave. We never know who was going to be on the other line, I think. But nowadays, you do know, for the most part. And if you don't recognize the number, you know, you certainly don't have to answer it. If you do recognize the number, guess what? You certainly don't have to answer it. And sometimes you can change the name in your phone of that person who's calling you that Every time they call, they just it just goes south. And maybe put their first name and then a note to yourself. Like if it's Ellen, and you can put Ellen, she's crazy. Don't engage. <laughs> and you can type that in as their name. I mean, I laugh if you want. What do you think that would do for you? Do you think that would at least give you enough of a moment's pause to realize? Hey, Fred, comma, he's toxic. Be careful. There are all kinds of things you could do, and you certainly don't even have to answer the phone. But you can give yourself that kind of space so that you're not just serving as a punching bag for somebody who wants to call and just tear into you for all the things you're doing wrong as a caregiver. Or there's some other types that call and they want to whiteboard everything. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? And then it's exhausting to explain to them that, yeah, you're doing it. Sometimes you just want to say, hey, what's the view like from the cheap seats? But, you know, you're trying to restrain yourself and be polite. And I get that. I, I'm the same way. But we can give ourselves some space. We can navigate around those individuals. I know that sometimes we want to push back and we want to have a big victory. But sometimes not making it worse is a big victory. Sometimes not having to engage with that kind of drama is a big victory. Sometimes the fights you don't have are the big victories. And the way you do that is you just learn to navigate around certain people. Yeah, it may take a little bit more creativity on your part. Yes, you shouldn't have to do it. Yes, you may spend a little bit more time having to go around them, but how much time and mental anguish and stress and resentment are you going to save yourself by not engaging with these individuals on their terms? That doesn't mean you don't get to engage with them. It just means that you do it on your terms. When you're in a place of strength, when you're in a place of mental clarity, you don't have to go to every fight that you get a ticket to. 
You can sit some out. You can navigate around them. Give yourself some space. I mean, I'm doing that with my foot, you know, and it's working. You know, and, and again, the toes get a little cold in flip-flops when you're in Montana. But give yourself some space and let it heal. Let yourself get a little stronger. And then what about support? What does support look like for you? Well, okay, if you listen to this program, maybe this is a good place to start. You know, I put stuff out there on the podcast and all these kinds of things that I do, all the things I'm doing with social media, that's why I'm doing it. Because I want to extend the same support and comfort and strength that I myself lean on, depend on, and have received. Paul says that in Corinthians. So I think that's a pretty good model. But what about a trusted friend, a pastor, somebody you can reach out to and just check in with and let them build you up. If people are not leaving you with scripture to hang on to in the midst of your distress, you kind of wonder how much time you need to spend with those people. Okay? Be be wary of that. Give yourself some support and some space, just like I did with my foot. All right, this is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. By the way, I've got to go do some caregiving things. So I'm going to play a repeat of my interview with Reverend Percy McCray that you're going to love this, this conversation. Thank you for your grace in that. And I've got to go see a man about a leg. <laughs> this is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back with our interview with Percy McCray. can tell us no. To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in His image. A place where Facebook and YouTube have no control. I think the command in Scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A place where we can no longer be canceled. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries, and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. My name is Vladimir. I received my Operation Christmas Child shoebox during a harsh winter in Ukraine where I grew up. My favorite item was minty dental floss. I remember thinking, wow, I guess they have interesting candy in America. I want children to experience the same unconditional love I did at the age of nine. To learn more or to pack a shoebox gift online, please visit SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. That's SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. This year, Operation Christmas Child is celebrating its 200 millionth shoebox. Send joy to a child in need with Operation Christmas Child. Pack a shoebox with fun toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then bring it to a drop-off location during National Collection Week, November 14th through the 21st. Or build a shoebox online. The good news of Jesus Christ is shared alongside your gift, and each child is invited to join a discipleship program. Visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC to learn more. That's why I love you, Jesus. That's why. 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Roseberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is B.J. Thomas. Wonderful song. I've loved it for a lifetime. One of the first songs I learned how to play on the piano. And uh, Archie Jordan, of course, wrote that. And he's been on our program. It's just a great song. And it's a great topic for what we're going to talk about in the next couple of segments here. I'm here with Reverend Percy McRae from South Florida. And we're going to talk about cancer and ministering to those who are dealing with cancer and their families. And many times when you hear the cancer word, people just go into a, a almost a paralysis of fear. It is a harsh brick to the face diagnosis. And you gave me love when nobody gave me a prayer. Sometimes people were sitting in their oncologist's office saying, you know, nobody's given me a prayer on this one. But we have a Savior that does, who advocates for us, who is with us through all of this. And Reverend McCray knows exactly what that feels like. And he's doing what he can to uh, minister to those who are struggling with this. So, Reverend McCray, thank you very, very much for being a part of the program today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Tell me your journey first, then we're going to get into how this has un, uh, been unfolding over your life and over your ministry, what God has called. But tell us your journey first. Well, I have an interesting journey. Right out of uh, Bible College in uh, Broken Arrow, Tulsa, Oklahoma, I had the opportunity to join uh, a cancer organization, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, now part of City of Hope, uh, with an opportunity to be part of their pastoral care team very young uh, in its origin, and I was asked by the organization uh, to somehow create an atmosphere and an environment where spirituality and faith was very much part of the clinical experience of all cancer patients and their caregivers if they were so inclined. And so began almost three decades ago now uh, working inside of a clinical environment with cancer patients. And then three years ago, I had the opportunity uh, where I was diagnosed with early-stage colon cancer. So for many years, supporting cancer patients and their caregivers, uh, praying with and supporting them uh, through uh, very difficult scenarios and situations, I had the opportunity uh, to walk that walk along with talking the talk. And so uh, as of today, I'm doing well and fine. My prognosis is fantastic. Uh, but I do certainly have a very different vantage point uh, now knowing what it feels like to be told the words that you have cancer. And it is a journey that requires love, support, and understanding and insight. What do you feel like has changed with you over these years as you have spent a lot of time with cancer patients and their families? Uh, what has changed for you from that young, right out of Bible college student to now? And how have you uh, grown, adapted? What, what what have you learned about God's provision? What are some insights that, that has happened over these last several years for you? That, that is a great question. You know, fresh out of Bible college, you know, you're, you're young, you're frisky, uh, and you're ready to preach, and, you know, you're ready to call down, you know, fire from heaven and et cetera. But the reality was that I had to learn how to really exercise patience. Uh, working with the cancer community, I often tell people, uh, cancer journeys is, in many cases, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And, of course, we're conditioned as pastors and in, in our faith communities, you know, we are there to kind of uh, give instantaneous messages and exhortations 
and you know and 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 see the power of God do and 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 and, and complete scenarios and situations in a much more quicker fashion. But hospital healthcare ministry to ca- uh, patients, cancer patients, requires diligence and patience and really long suffering. And it's one of the reasons why there are not many people who are very engaged in cancer care ministry because it requires a commitment of time. So I had to learn how to be patient and to work with uh, and work through the scenarios of supporting cancer patients that, that took time in many cases uh, for them to see change and progression and to be there through the thick and thin and the grind uh, of a day, a week, a month, and a year, if you will. You know, as a recipient of a lot of pastoral care over the years in hospital, a lot of pastors would come in hot to the room uh, or to us. And, uh, and by that, I mean, they, they, they come in and they're waving prayer cloths and, and prophesying and yelling out scripture and, you know, yep. everything in their brother. What have you learned over the years about approaching a room of suffering? You're absolutely correct. And, and it's, it's, it's just, a lack of understanding and knowledge uh, with regard to coming into an environment uh, and not being part of the environment. And that's a huge delineation. Um, and you're exactly right. Uh, in many cases, cancer patients are mentally, emotionally, and certainly uh, physically, they are suffering through processes, being poked, being prodded, uh, being medicated, you know, uh, enduring, you know, significant procedures. And so, Uh, One of the things that's important to understand, and I hope that there are some pastors and and faith leaders that are listening to me today, is really understanding the fact that uh, coming into an environment of suffering definitely requires a different pace, a different rhythm, and a different cadence. Uh, You know, not just kind of walking through the front door and and, and kind of uh, doing what you are used to doing in a pulpit on a Sunday morning, Because in many cases, cancer patients simply mentally, emotionally, and physically are not able to even engage with that type of rhythm. They're tired. They're exhausted. You know, their attention span, uh, you know, wanes. You know, they're sleepy. They're tired. So, again, it's really uh, what I had to understand with regard to that. And I remember my first couple of experiences, you know, I came in with kind of a fiery exhortation just as you articulated and two minutes into the to that, the patient was sound asleep. And it wasn't because I was boring. It was because they were tired and they were medicated. And, and so they simply drifted off. So it's really understanding, first and foremost, allowing the patient to drive the bus. If there's nothing else that I'll say today is that we need to allow the patient to dictate the time, the tempo, what they want to talk about. When we come in with our pre-inscribed, you know, uh, scriptures and thoughts and and you know, processes, uh, that may very well not be the thing that the patient is ready for or interested in hearing, but we never stop to take time to find out what it was, what they wanted to hear, what they wanted to talk about, what was on their heart. We must allow every cancer patient to drive the bus and dictate the tone and tempo of the conversation. And that may take several visits for us to really establish a rapport and a relationship that is meaningful for them. And we do make mistakes in coming off the street hot, as you said, and we need to really adjust that. You know, I remember when my wife first lost her right leg, eventually she lost her left leg as well, but this is back in 1991. And this young man came in and he was trying to be helpful. He was a peer support kind of guy and he really wanted to be helpful. I'll never forget this. 
and he wanted to, her to, you know, to not feel afraid of the stigma and see a prosthetic mm-hmm. leg and so forth. So he showed her his prosthetic foot. He had one below the knee, just like hers. And she had not been fitted yet for a prosthesis, but his foot looked mm-hmm. like he had tied it up behind the car, drug it down the road for a while, and then shot mm-hmm. it with the 12 gauge. I mean, his oh. foot was just beat up, I mean, you know, and, oh. and Gracie was, Gracie was just like, she's just burst into tears. She's like, this is what I'm going to have to wear kind of thing. And yeah. of course it wasn't. And, and she wears all kinds of great legs, but it it's one of those things where he was showing things like that. And, and you caution people about not sharing horror stories of previous persons with cancer and things like that. Not overpowering people was op- unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I would encourage that that individual. He needs to upgrade his prosthetic if he's going to show it to someone. Number one, <laughs> but exactly right. Uh, one of the early principles of, of of hospital ministry that I learned is: do not share horror stories or overwhelm or overpower a cancer patient or or anyone in in a healthcare scenario. Again, they simply may not be mentally prepared or ready for that. And as see, as believers and as and as Christians, ministers, you're right. We have we have great intentions, but our intentions can be uh, poorly received because we don't understand the dynamic of where that person is. One of the great things about the ministry of Jesus uh, is that he he always came down to the level of where people were. He didn't try to bring people up to where he was. As in a great example, the woman at the well is probably one of my favorite stories because he came down on her level. He understood uh, her social dynamic. He understood the, the, you know, the, the climate and the, the scenario of her backdrop and her story, and he met her where she was. And so we have to meet patients where they are. And in order to do that, we first have to do a little uh, uh, query. We need to understand. We need to hear from them first before we delve into. Many of us go into the hospital setting with kind of a pre-inscribed script of how we're going to address and start a conversation that is the first major mistake that we make. You throw your script out, you don't have a script. You come in with a blank slate and you allow that patient to help set the tone of what it is that they want, what they desire, and where they are willing and ready to go. And you cannot do that uh, by just walking in the front door. I know that we have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit but we need to take time to allow that individual to unpack some things. How are you feeling today? Uh, how are things going for you? And allow them to kind of give you some, some, some messaging points that then you can be, again, to attack or, or address. But just going in and just kind of assuming what someone needs to hear or see is, is a fatal mistake. So we need to allow the patient to give us a sense of the direction that they want us to go in, and that that will require some time, and that will require some inquiry, and that will require some diligence and some patience. You know, one of my favorite verses is Job 2.13, and it said his friends came and they sat with him quiet for seven days because they saw his suffering was great. And all too often today, people don't know how to be quiet with somebody for seven minutes. And (laughs) it's, 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 it's okay to just kind of sit with people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The, the, the greatest availability, uh, one of the biggest things that people share with me and have shared with me about cancer patients and supporting them is, well, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure what I should say or not say. In this particular case, being present goes a very long way. Your availability can be your greatest ability when you don't know what else to say. 
be present, be available, and simply be silent and allow the presence of the room to dictate uh, the tone and the tempo. It's perfectly fine to do so. Absolutely. We're talking with Reverend Percy McRae. He is, uh, he's got a great podcast, healthhopeandinspiration.com, healthhopeandinspiration.com. We're going to talk some more when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And this program is designed to help equip you to be healthy. We'll be right back. Do you feel like you're in control of your finances, or is it more like the other way around? Sometimes all it takes is a little help and encouragement, and we've got just the thing. It's Money Wise with Rob West. Every weekday morning from 9 to 10 Central, Rob and his money-savvy friends and colleagues help you stay in control of your finances. And it's not from the world's perspective, but from God's. Don't miss Money Wise with Rob West every weekday morning from 9 to 10 Central, right here on AFR. Weekday mornings at 8 Central, Pastor Jeff Shreve offers real truth for today. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. The world around us is rapidly changing, but God and His truth will never change. I may be the host of the show, but I want God's Word and His truth to be the star of the show. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve each weekday morning at 8 Central for real truth for today on American Family Radio. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden of the Association of Independent Methodists. We just completed our 57th annual meeting of the Association of Independent Methodists held in Decatur, Alabama. What a powerful meeting it was with great fervent biblical preaching of Dr. Dwight Nash and Dr. Chris Bounds. Both men were solidly in the Word of God, true to the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ and His new birth and in the message of purity of heart and life through the sanctifying grace of Christ. Our president, Hal Dagg, gave great reports of new churches being planted, churches looking us over and inquiring about membership, and the growth of the work that our missionaries are involved in around the world. Be sure to check us out at aim2020.com. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger, and that is my wife, Gracie. Uh, thank you for that, Pat, for playing her on that one. I, 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 that's a song she recorded many, many years ago, and I, every now and then I go back and listen to it, and I'm like, oh, baby. I just love that voice. Hopeforthecaregiver.com, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We are talking with Reverend Percy McCray, and he has an extraordinary minister, ministry to cancer patients and their caregivers, uh, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, and you can go and learn more about him at healthhopeandinspiration.com. I hope you will. He's got wonderful insights on what it's like to minister into this very, very difficult valley, as Gracie was singing, in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and the valley of the shadow of death is a very frightening and sometimes a very long place. And we as believers are called to go in there with people. That's the whole point. To, to go into those dark places. And as he was saying before the break, some people say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, that's okay. 
Scripture knows what to say. <laughs> you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about that. You just show up. Um, uh, somebody's asked me one time about a um, ministry to the uh, to folks that are suffering, and I said, "Well, it's the uh, the three S's. You suit up, you put on the righteousness of Christ, you show up, and you shut up. <laughs> just suit up, show up, shut up. You don't have to fix this, but companionship." believing, praying, companionship during this is what people are crying out for. And uh, Reverend McCray is, is been, has been blazing this trail for, for many people for a long time in doing this. Uh, I want to pivot just a hair, Reverend McCray, and talk a little bit about uh, the, the people in the room with you. When you go in to see the cancer patient and you look around the room and there's a family member or so forth, where does your, where does your head and heart go when you turn to them? Yeah, that's a great question, because in many cases, uh, if you're visiting as a minister or a pastor or, or a church member, uh, the first thing that you need to be aware of is who's who in the zoo, who's in the room, who else is in the environment. You need to take stock of, of, the, of the temperature of the room, the climate, and you certainly need to uh, uh, befriend whoever else is in the room. Yes, you're there to see the patient. But you also need to, to try to establish as quickly as you possibly can with whatever amount of time that you may have some sort of quick rapport with their visitors and, and acknowledge them. I've seen many people walk into a room with a patient and completely ignore their caregivers or their other visitors. And it's very, it's very off-putting, quite frankly. And so uh, you need to uh, establish, you know, what's going on. There may have been some type of very deep, or emotional conversation that was being taken place or interaction with that other person. Uh, so you need to understand the temperature of the water that you're entering into so that you do not uh, create any type of um, weird energy because you need to understand that there's something else going on there. So where your head and your heart needs to be is first acknowledgement. Uh, hello, uh, my name is so-and-so, so-and-so, and you are and allow that individual to kind of give you some sense of it's okay for you to come in and be part of what we're doing right now. I've seen, and it's unintentional, I've seen people who have been unintentionally rude spiritually and disregard uh, who else is in the room. I'll give you a great example. Uh, I entered into a patient's room that I built relationship with, and his dad was there to see him, and his dad was of another uh, spiritual orientation. And and his son said to me, he said, this is my dad, Reverend McCray, who I've been telling you about, and I want you to tell him why he needs to get born again. And his dad looked <laughs> at me with a certain look, like, if you dare go down that road with me. And so immediately what I did is that I did, I did just the opposite of what the son asked me to do. I befriended his father. I ingratiated him. I told him how much his son loved him and spoke about him and how it was such a pleasure to meet him, and I was so glad that he was there. And it diffused his defensive posture immediately because he was not ready or willing to have that discussion at that moment and time. So you must understand and take assessment of, uh, again, using the metaphor of who's who in the zoo, who's there, who else is in the environment, so that you can respond and react accordingly. Part of being able to do that involves a skill set that some people may not think they have and some people quite truthfully don't have, but clearly you do. When did you discover 
that you could read the room? Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. Um, uh, I, I came with, with, with an, an ability and an acumen to do that based upon uh, the previous work that I was involved in, and, and people who are listening will laugh at this because they won't see the connection at all. But I used to be a car salesman in my previous life before I, I got into the ministry. And part of being an effective salesperson is the ability to create rapport and relationship and understand the dynamics of the people that are sitting in front of you before you just delve into trying to sell them something. Uh, the five principles of salesmanship is, uh, is, is first introduction, create rapport and relationship, gain common ground, to ask the needs of the customer, and then you make a sale to them. But you cannot do principle number five until you've done one through four. And so I came to, to, to that environment with that background and that skill set. But to your previous point, everyone can learn how to do that if they understand the psychological movement and steps of that and why it is important. Because you cannot sell or present anything to anyone who you first have not properly introduced yourself Two, you've gained some type of relationship and rapport with, nor have you asked or found out what their needs are. So when you, when you understand the psychological stair steps there, anyone can begin to adapt that to their life and to their personality, where then you can begin to learn how to read, if you will, the room or the environment. You know, I love how God uses all of our life experiences. He's a uh, he was a carpenter. He doesn't even waste the sawdust, does he? And uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I remember my first job, and I was when I was a teenager, and it was cleaning horse stalls. And my brothers say I'm still, you know, sometimes in the same job description. And uh, but no, I, I have four brothers, and and I uh, and I, my friends Tommy and Betsy, they had a big pig farm down in South Carolina, and and I remember having to clean that pig stalls out and everything else. And, uh, they still laugh at me for that. And they listen to this program and, and they, but you know what, you learn a lot when you're cleaning out a stall and you learn a lot about, <laughs> learn a lot about life when you're scraping pig manure off of a, off of a barn yeah. floor. And, um, you learn what you don't want to be doing for the rest of your life. I promise you that. <laughs> that's, well, that's I, you know, and this, this is something I have seen when people come into our room and they don't realize uh, the dynamics going on before they open the door to that room. And, you know, when Gracie's there, like this particular stretch, she was just on for 10 weeks. Well, that's her whole world is that room. She can't get up and move around. She can't do anything without help. And she is locked up in that room. And it doesn't matter how many flowers you put in there or how many cards or, you know, how many times I swung by Chick-fil-A to bring her a big gallon of sweet tea. We don't have Chick-fil-A in Montana. Well, we do way up in Kalispell, I think. <laughs> and, but there's not anyone, there's no Chick-fil-A within five hours of us. And, okay. and she's a Southern girl and she likes sweet tea. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I swung by and brought her something like that. You're still in that room and dark thoughts can overtake people. And when somebody comes in hot, they got to be aware of what just may have happened. And I, I'll give you an example. And I want you to respond to this. A friend of mine's a pastor, been one for 50 years and, and, right out of seminary, kind of like the way you were with Bible college, he was going to go on a pastoral visit with a guy that was kind of his pastoral mentor. And he never done anything like this before. And he said, I'm going to go visit a cancer patient. This guy's had a pretty rough go of it. And I just want to prepare you for tubes and smells. And it's going to, it's going to be pretty rough. And yep. he kind of gave him a, gave him a good preparation for it. 
And my friend said, and this is down here by you. When it was happening, down here, he, he was down here in Miami area. And uh, he said, pull over. And the guy was, my friend at the time was only maybe about 22 years old. And he mm. got out of the car and threw up by the side of the road. And he hadn't even gotten to the hospital yet. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was that nervous about it. And and I get that. And so I think that's the level of, uh, but he watched as his mentor walked in and it was just, you know, his old hat. Well, it, it is old hat if you've done it before. The first time yep. it's going to be a little weird and a little bit nervous and you're going to feel unsure of yourself. And this is where we lean on the word of God and we, we saturate ourselves with that. Talk about that with you, because I know there've been times when you've gone into this and you were feeling unsure, uncertain, scared, nervous, awkward, all those kinds of things. And you look at family members who maybe have red eyes because they've been sitting in the corner crying um, yep. or they they just, they may have just had an argument. I don't yep. know if you ever walked in on the couple, just had a fight. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. So the scenarios that all of the things that you've just articulated is real time scenarios of going into a hospital healthcare environment. And I've seen all of those and then some. And so with that being said, you are exactly right. The key to this first and foremost is whatever it is that you thought you knew or understood about that dynamic is, is just a, a, a mere a small tinkling of, of, of whatever that reality is. They are, yes, there are smells. Uh, you, you may even actually visibly see some things that will be off-putting. Uh, someone with, with, you know, some of their face missing or their throat. I, I witnessed a, a person bleed out with, because of their carotid artery that ruptured, right, in my presence, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, this is where, to your point, first and foremost, you are going to have to be steeped and grounded and rooted in truly the love of God in order to be able to see humanity compromised on a level where there may be disfigurement, where there may be unpleasant uh, sounds that you will hear a cancer patient make, uh, groaning and pain, and et cetera. And so the, the primary dynamic that's at work here is, is that you need to first be prayed up. You need to be fully, I tell people this all the time when I do all of our trainings or when I was doing our trainings uh, for training churches and pastors on how to do uh, hospital and, and cancer care ministry, is that at the end of the day, uh, you're going to have to be completely aware of the fact that you may see and hear something that you've never seen or heard before, and that is going to have to not be the deciding dynamic of why you are there. You're there because you are leaning into the love and the hope and the faith of God that today I want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And what would he do in this situation which will help to ground you in those moments? That may surprise you and catch you off guard. Good words, and I've got one more series of questions. I want to put you on the lightning round for the next segment, Reverend McCray. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is uh, Hope for the Caregiver. We're talking with Reverend Percy McCray, and he is bringing an extraordinary journey and ministry to help minister to families dealing with cancer, not just the patient, but the whole family. And uh, Health, Hope, and Inspiration is his website, podcast. Go take it a look. We'll be right back. Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries 
and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies. And with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. I feel so hopeless. Hopeless. Is there any hope? I I just feel like there's no hope at all. Is there any hope? Get hope. My mentor used to say, leaders bring faith, hope, and courage to concentrated action. That's TWR President Lauren Libby. Recently, I attended a meeting where a presentation seemed to suck all the hope right out of the room. Why? Because the leader presenting told the group what we could not do for numerous reasons. Another leader made a presentation and told us what we could do and showed us that it was attainable. The second leader fired our faith by painting a picture of something not in existence and helping us believe that it really could happen with concentrated effort. Now guess which leader brought hope to the group? Leaders bring hope by painting an attainable future. Need more hope? We have resources waiting for you, including a free devotional. You'll find them at GetHopeRadio.com. That's GetHopeRadio.com. Where there's a treasure at the end of this narrow road I'm traveling, and it gives me a purpose for my Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is Gary Chapman, and you can hear my interview with him on our podcast. Uh, go out to hopeforthecaregiver.com and see more about that. It was a great interview. He talked about his father, taking care of his father with Parkinson's and then cancer. And there is a treasure at the end of this narrow road we're traveling in. And we all deal with various things along that road that are very painful, and that's why I'm very grateful that I have Reverend Percy McRae here with us today. He's been dealing with this for 20 years, uh, 20 plus years in cancer care ministry. And he uh, has a lot of resources available free to you. Go out to his website, healthhopeandinspiration.com. And you can download some of these things. If you feel that you are led to, to minister specifically in this area with cancer patients, we're all called to minister to others. Jesus was very clear on that. Sick, naked, hungry, thirsty prison. He's pretty clear on it, and there's no ambiguity. And you know what part did he stutter in? He didn't. Um, he he was very clear on this. But some people may not be called specifically to this with cancer ministry. But if you feel this is tug, tugging at your heart, this is the man you want to go talk to and get some insights from him. Reverend McCree, I wanted to build on some of the things we were talking about in the last segment. Oftentimes, family members are struggling with with a multitude of things, and they they have to go through their own journey with it. And do you find that a lot of them are trying to 
apologize for or cover up or they're embarrassed about what their loved one is going through or whatever sounds and whatever's going on in the room and all that kind of stuff. I, I know you have. How do you help ease them through that process? How do you help them calm down and just be okay that you're there with them? You're absolutely right. The caregivers uh, often have very significant dynamics that they're working through mentally and emotionally. Caregivers need to be cared for, and we need to remember that. And part of that is, in many cases, you may actually need to do some separate ministry to the caregiver out of the presence of the patient themselves. Many caregivers are postured to be in a protective mode and to be in a mode of strength uh, because they don't want the the patient that they're caring for to see them vulnerable. But if you are able to uh, pull them aside and have some private time with them, then you are able in many cases to kind of get beneath the veneer of that and and really get into some of the dynamics of of what they're going through. And you are right. In many cases, uh, they are embarrassed, uh, maybe even ashamed, and they're trying to protect and cloak a scenario. But in many cases, cancer, uh, particularly with cancer patients, caregivers are also struggling with guilt in some cases. Was it my fault? What did I do wrong? Uh, How did I add stress into this person's life? So they are also dealing with issues maybe uh, that may require some forgiveness, uh, some confession. And so you need to be able to be sensitive to the fact that the caregiver may have some very unique dynamics that's separate from the patient themselves that needs to be ministered to. And can you build rapport, relationship, and trust with them that will allow them to to kind of pull down the veneer and allow you to have access to some of their mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. But they do, and they are struggling. And in many cases, they are not being addressed. Well, thank you for that, because as one who has not been addressed, um, that that is uh, refreshing to hear, because people don't know what to say to the caregiver either. There are times in my journey with this that I've encountered people with, with pretty brutal stuff. And Gracie and I, of course, no stranger to it, but sometimes there are some things I encounter that's intensely more brutal at that moment than than what we live with. Mm-hmm. And we saw this some at Walter Reed when we spent a lot of time with wounded warriors and so forth. But there's other times I've talked to people, and I, afterwards I just have to take a knee, you know, and I'm and I I have to go off by myself and just catch my breath and take a knee. Can you share maybe one of those times with you that was just so difficult that you you had to dig deep into God for this? Oh, there have been many occasions and many times. I, I can recall very vividly a rather young woman, 28, 29 years of age, beautiful, and um, she was experiencing end-stage processes with her cancer, and she was with her mom, And she looked up at me and with these beautiful blue eyes and with a big tear coming out of her eyes, she said, Reverend McCray, please help me to understand why is it so hard to get healed? And and it broke me down. It it, it literally took everything that I had within me uh, to stand there and to love up on her and to hug her. And um, I did what we needed to do. I provided her with ministry um, and then when I left out of her presence, I literally had to go out of the building and go get in my car just to regroup and regather after hearing this this just beautiful young woman who basically was at the stages of, of passing away. 
asked me the most difficult question that I've ever that I was ever asked, and that was why is it so difficult to get healed? And then I had the privilege of officiating her her funeral, and I remember my legs feeling like rubber at the podium. There was three thousand people there waiting to hear what I had to say, and I said, "Lord, if you don't speak through me today." I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. It was just so emotionally difficult. But yes, and for people who are in this industry, for lack of a better word, ministry, there is a dynamic that is called uh, compassion fatigue that we have to be mindful of and that we have to to be intentional about in terms of taking respite and disconnecting when appropriate so that we can be rejuvenated, just as Jesus did. Most of his time, Jesus spent time alone after he spent time with the crowds ministering and feeding and, 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 and ministering to the flock. Then he said that he would slip away quietly where he could kind of rejuvenate and allow the Holy Spirit to, to reinvest back into him energy and strength and power. So there have been many times that I've had to do that and just simply get quiet and still and go sit across the street in the park and just kind of gather my thoughts. Absolutely. You know, in the last few moments, I'd like for you to go a little bit deeper on that one because I, I have a working belief that true ministry will cost you something every time. Yeah. If you're walking away from a sermon or a ministry encounter and you're just ready to go and just have a good time and just, you know, yuck it up with everybody else, you kind of have to wonder how effective were you because mm-hmm. true ministry is really going to cost you. And you do need to slip away quietly. You do need to have a few moments uh, just to collect your thoughts and your heart because you're pouring out your heart and you're you're joining with the, the sufferings of Christ, which is looking at this broken world and seeing it for what it is. Jesus looked mm-hmm. out over the masses and he was moved. And and I I think that the more we walk with Christ in this, the more we share in those sufferings and share in that compassion that he had and also that groaning that he had over the brokenness of all of this. And so in the last just few moments, would you just talk a little bit about that, of of the cost um, of ministering to people who are suffering and their families and the, the, what, what, what send, even though your legs are rubber, what sends you to that pulpit? What sends you back Mm. into the next hospital room? Well, you, you are a thousand percent correct. Uh, anyone that is truly called to the ministry and the service of humanity on behalf of the kingdom of God, uh, they will have to invest and they will have to give up something in order to do that and to do it effectively and to do it well. And uh, I also pastored a church for, for many years also while I was also working in the, the cancer care community. And I remember one day that I had to come to terms with the fact that I couldn't do both because of the mental and emotional and physical exhaustion and just the the deposit that had to be made on a consistent basis and understanding that you don't just get to skip through, uh, you know, the tulips and, and quote a sermon and then, you know, sing a hymn and then you receive an offering and you go home. That, that you carry those people with you. There are, there are parts of you that you leave, that you invest in the, in the hearts and the souls of those that you come in contact with. And they, they are part of your, your being. So there is a cost. And, and so I believe the Apostle Paul said it best that I have, I have spent and been spent for you. I have spent all that I have for you 
in, in giving you the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a cost to be paid. There are, you know, you can't cross uh, that river without paying the toll. Uh, and so for any young minister that is listening to me today, uh, there is a cost to be paid. It's worth it at the end of the day, for sure. There's no question about it, and I wouldn't do anything differently. But you will, you will have to invest a part of who you are, your mind, your soul, uh, your emotions. Uh, some people have said to me at times that you're, you're too, too serious, you're too melancholy. Uh, and I've had to tell people, but at the end of the day, I carry the burden of, of, the, of a hurt and dying world. And like the compassion of Christ, you can't just walk and see that and experience that and just go and sit down and say that everything is okay. That That is going to impact you, and it should impact you, and it should uh, leave some sort of mark or scar upon you, as Paul talked about his stripes that he received. Uh, there are stripes that we receive for the calling, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and certainly to ministry to the to the hurt and to the sick and to the dying. But know at the end of the day that there is no greater cause worth having than that, and that you will be rewarded for that. And I am grateful that God called me faithful, and I try to live up to that and be faithful to that calling every day. Mm. Thank you very much, Reverend Percy McRae. Health, hope, and inspiration.com. He's got resources available for you. Please go out and take a look at what he's doing. Get involved. Cancer Treatment Centers of America is where he's been ministering, and he is doing this. He's on the front line of this to people who suffer in their families. Pastor McCray, thank you for being a part of the program. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, my friend, and I look forward to coming back seeing you anytime in the future. God bless you. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.